I think the other thing that, that's fascinating from rowing that you take with you is the debrief after a session. I love it. I used to yeah. love those debriefs. It's like you can have the worst session, it'd be down on one side the whole thing, and then like someone's gobbing off normally at three about where it is. <laughs> so, and you get back in and everyone's fuming and you stand around in that circle and everyone gets a chance to go around and say, well, I think this was good. I think that was rubbish. I think it was your fault. And here's what I'm going to do better next time. Here's what you're going to do better. But the best bit about it is when you walk away, that's it. Yeah. And you're upstairs and it's a cup of tea and banter and, and you know, you, you carry on. Hey, what is up? Welcome to Last Row Counts. Today, we're joined by the new director of the River and Row Museum, Mr. Steve O'Connor. Steve, please welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Oh, thanks. Thanks for letting us come down here and, and do this here. It's incredible to, to set up in this room. Um, for our listeners, where are we? Well, yeah, in, in Henley-on-Thames, in, in one of the halls of the, of the new, newly refurbished River and Row Museum. Um, we've got some cool, we've got very, very original Model A Concept 2 row machine behind us um, and all sorts of cool bits of equipment around here. Um, but yeah, like um, I guess the, the point of today is to talk about what's new here, what, what people could expect. Um, we were talking before, you know, <clears throat> we've been here a few times, but even still there's so much that you just kind of grab. It's definitely taken us longer to, to set up today, to keep getting distracted by things. <laughs> yeah. So much cool stuff around here. But um, Yeah, we've got the, uh, the history of the boat race. We've got, obviously, Olympic boats. We're going to have medals soon from the Olympic Games and also all sorts of like interesting rowing memorabilia. I think, what was it, World Rowing said that you guys have 35,000 items in your collection? Yeah, so in total, we've got 35,000. Um, we've got around about... 1700 or so on display at the moment so ergs and boats and bits and pieces you can see um we've got about another 5000 or so objects like that in storage and then the rest is all archive information so all the newspapers and letters and bits and pieces i just heard actually this morning we've got a letter um that george pocock wrote when he was on the um ferry ferry probably not ferry a boat um traveling from the us to germany for hitler's games and uh, in the letter, he's talking about how he's he's really worried the eight's going to get damaged and what they're going to find on the other side when they get out. So yeah. is is that the same games as uh, the boys in the boat? Yeah, the boys film? in the boat. Film. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. awesome! I think that's uh, well, that's quite relevant. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. as a topic now, so it will be cool to like see that as well. Coincidentally, thirty-five thousand is about the number of uh, all-in-ones that you've collected. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all of which we'll be able to see once we move into a studio <laughs> and we'll just hang it hang it up <laughs> uh cool so let's we'll get into the the museum in a little bit but i think um like you mentioned uh, you're kind of one of the first directors that's been involved in rowing um so kind of be interested to find out how you got into rowing in the first place and then from there kind of how you came here yeah i guess i'm a dyed in the wool club rower um so i started at my school um but it was a state school in nottingham called beckett school um so it's one of the few schools then that rode so that was in the mid 90s um I just loved it. Like, I just loved being on the water, loved rowing. My brother had rowed before me, um, so he was at a place called Nottingham Britannia Rowing Club, which doesn't exist anymore. Um, and they had a bit of a reputation for sort of partying more than rowing. Um, so it always looked good fun. And then, uh, yeah, I joined my school, started rowing, joined Notson Union, and just loved it. Like, I was, I still can't kick or catch a football to save my life. Yeah. Um, so it was the only sport I was any good at. And then we went to local head races, like Ancombe Head was my first race. We won that. 
oh, it's great it's easy and so I just like, kept going and and um yeah it's great and then just carried on rode at Leeds University um coming out of uni like worked around the country with different jobs and just always joined the boat club it's always like an easy way to get 50 mates straight away yeah um so rode at like Bristol and Exeter and up in York for a bit um and then eventually settled in London um and joined London Rowing Club and so did most of my sort of club competitive rowing there so ended up being captain at London for a bit um and yeah being involved in the squad and that sort of endless mission to try and win Henley which uh never achieved myself but was um lucky enough to be in the squad when the squad won uh and then was captain in 2011 when they won the Wildfold. so awesome. yeah so a proper club rower i think i'd describe myself as so it's under your tutelage that london got some handy wins so. nothing to do with me like <laughs> i just i did a bit of admin in the background but um we were really lucky we had paul reedy as our coach oh, um yeah. so obviously he's you know a genius when it comes to coaching so so um it was paul there's a little bit of phil bergenon sort of he started joining as i was leaving um and so, yeah, it's, you know, you're, when you're following Paul's program, like you're assured of going quickly. Yeah, that's um, Vicky Stonley's coach. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. We met him at uh, Putney Town High School. Putney High. Put- yeah. Putney High, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I think we're going in January, but we'll be back at London fixing their own machines as well. Ah, nice. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think all captains would say that it's just a bit of admin that they did, but it's, it's so much more than that. It's handling crises, it's putting out fires, and it's being a someone that like all their club members can consult to and talk about yeah. uh, like when it comes to rowing and training so give yourself a bit more credit than well, that well I think funny enough my sort of um, um, it's not a claim term that the opposite is but like I've always been better at rowing admin than actually rowing which is quite depressing like thinking back on it so I'd always even as a junior I was always doing something voluntary wise to try and push things along um, so like career wise I used to have a proper job working in marketing I was working for a big agency um, in the city I just hated it and I was spending all my time doing rowing admin so I was like well let's let's try and do it full time let's try and get a job coaching and and see how we go from there so um so yeah rowing admin's always been like a big part of it yeah and um yeah managed to to make some money out of it thankfully I love just looking at the numbers and seeing progression and yeah. and all all sorts of things I love you called it a real job like that's pretty much for me as well like row gear and everything we do is just anything to not have a real job yeah <laughs> that's, that's the aim <laughs> Yeah. I remember I once spoke uh, uh, Alex Gregory a couple of years after he'd finished as well. I said, oh, what are you doing now? He said, like, absolutely anything that means I don't have to get a real job. <laughs> That's mad, isn't it? Yeah. That's I, what we're all in for. I think he's still doing that now. But having said <laughs> that, this does seem like quite quite a real job. What was the kind of progress to getting here? Um, well, yeah, as I said, I sort of had a had a proper job in the city, did a bit of marketing. Um, and then probably sort of mid-20s-ish, I switched to being a full-time coach at Barn Elms. Okay. Um and that was all about coaching local schools. So uh, the coaching I've done, I've done a bit of performance stuff at university level, um, but I never, I, I enjoy coaching like boats to, to win stuff at races, but never loved it. Mm. Um, but I really love coaching people when it's their first time rowing. Like I love learning to row. I think it's brilliant. I love teaching it. Because I, I sort of struggle to get really motivated for someone that's really good at rowing and wants to go from fast to really fast. Mm. I, I get it and I've been there, but I sort of, to leap out of bed and coach them, so I find that a bit of a challenge. But for someone that um, is maybe scared of the water or has never sat in a boat before and they do that first session and come back and say, I love it. And they're definitely back for the next session. Like I, I live for that. I think that's brilliant. The progress um, is massive, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. We talked before, yeah. Elite rowers, if, if, you take, if you take two seconds off your 2K time in a year, you've done a great job. Whereas like, you know, yeah, with, uh, with new ones, you can take, they're taking minutes. Yeah, there. exactly it's, right. It's yeah, so yeah. nice to see and, yeah, we said this. We've coached a lot of novices as well, and I think um, 
you love the, if you love the sport, you want to see someone else love the sport. So yeah, like exactly. That point right. of like seeing someone when they start coming to you, like, do you reckon uh, we could do another set? You know, yeah. we could do some more training. And you're like, I've got them. Yeah, they, <laughs> they caught the that, bat. Like, that light bulb moment of when someone rose on a weekend. They're like, could we fit in two sessions on a Saturday? <laughs> yes, you can. Welcome. <laughs> you know, you're now in the sport. Yeah. Um, Open the door. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah. So, so coached at Barn Elms. Um, you know, love coaching, but then after five years there, I was like, oh, kind of don't want to be at Barn Elms forever coaching. Um, so then the opportunity came along to set up Fulham Reach Boat Club. Um, so there was a big development um, built just next to where the old Riverside Studios are by Hammersmith Bridge. Mm-hmm. And the developer there in the planning permission, they had to put a community boat club in. So they put the advert out and said, can we have a consultant to come in and run, um, uh, write the plan, sorry, for this boat club. So I got that job having, you know, run London and, and, um, done the sort of numbers of a grown-up job and then had experience in the sport. Mm. So got the job to write the plan for Fulham Reach and then ended up opening it back in 2013. Um, and again, it was real grassroots focus. Like, how do we get lots of kids from safety schools on the water was sort of the basic plan when we opened the doors and then it has grown into this wild beast that's on the on the water today. Yeah, yeah, it's doing really well, yeah. That's it's grown really quickly. I said so they would only think that it's opened, yeah, 10 years ago, which is crazy. Yeah, it's it's been interesting as well to document it um in a time of social media so i've got the photos up there of like the day i was given the keys so literally I had a pair of keys no boats no staff we even still had the wrap on the window so you couldn't see out the place and just kind of told to get on with it um and then you know with the backing of the developer initially and then the fundraising coming on board we ended up with uh, i think when i left we had over 40 boats a couple of thousand people a year going rowing um a team of about 30 between the management staff and the coaches um, so it's great. It was great fun to run it, and um, it really showed that there's demand for rowing there. We just got to mm. tap into it in the right way. Yeah, definitely. That's uh, yeah, like small. It's like you said. There's this untapped resource. There's a there's a limited vent, you know, limited avenues for people to get into rowing, and I think that's big thing now. Like I'm going to talk hopefully with Kath Bishop, who's running the Love Rowing mm-hmm. thing, which I it's like the British rowing. It's like the charity, yeah, charity British yeah, rowing, yeah. 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 Um, and a couple of other people, I think that's really interesting. But like you said, it's just like the most rewarding bit of it. And there's no shortage of people in London. So my, they might as well row instead of being there thousands or 2,000 footballer from their neighbourhood. Yeah. And it's funny, I thought when I started Fulham, I imagined that all my row mates were just up sticks and come and join. And that like that was basically written in the plan. Like we'll get 80% of our members will know how to row and it'd be great. They can just take boats and go out and paddle. And like it didn't happen. Um, and it really reinforced to me how tribal people are about their clubs um so pretty quickly we could see that people weren't joining so we had to rewrite the plan as like right well we're just gonna have to teach everyone um but what that meant was we we opened our horizons much wider because we could now go for anybody didn't you they'd never open it didn't matter mm-hmm. so we started pitching ourselves against um, local gyms mm-hmm. so we started offering one-to-one sessions like you get on the pt but you do it on the water so same price so we charge someone back in the day i think we do 50 quid an hour to come around with us didn't have to be a member, didn't have to join British Rowing. You're just walking off the street, sign the forms and out you go with the coach. Um, and so, yeah, from there, we really grew that that sort of, um, grew that base of people that had never rowed before into this this 150-odd membership, uh, which is cool. It's good fun. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail, the tribe thing. That's what attracts people to it. Like, this yeah. is my thing. This is my gang. You know, wherever we find ourselves, we're having a coffee or on a beer. We're always talking about rowing. Like, it's my club, my collars, my blazer, my yeah, tie, yeah, my yeah. socks. Like, get away. <laughs> I don't want to change it. 
yeah yeah no i think that's part of it so yeah you can tap into that and i think that's quite powerful and um yeah that's cool mm-hmm. so then moving on to onto here how did uh, did you get involved in this or like yeah so this came about um there's a couple of reasons really so one fulham just started feeling like the right time to move on so sort of led it through covid um we'd come out of covid and we were kind of getting back to normal we we're in, in all right shape um and we were starting to think about all the problems we had pre-covid post-covid so i was like okay we're kind of kind of draw a line into that now and it's we're back to normal um so i was sort of thinking well it's 10 years now what's next i don't want to be the fulham guy forever um see a theme i don't want to be the barn elms guy forever i don't want to be the fulham guy forever um there's a limit to how much you you can stamp your mark on exactly it. yeah yeah exactly but it was um it just it just felt like the right time is about as good as i can explain it mm. um and then at the same time um i knew the guys that were running this place and we were just talking about running charities and they said well we're going to advertise for a director um and really what drew me to it is the challenge um because it's never made money um it's it's been shut for a while while they reinvested in the fabric of the building and the infrastructure behind it um and basically i've been a bit like i'm giving full and reach told to get on with it i've been kind of given the keys to this place and told to to get on and and help it operate in the black um so that's you know like all rowers you love a challenge so it's really exciting a bit daunting mm. um but i wouldn't be here if i didn't think we could do it so yeah. Um, so yeah that's the plan yeah i mean any challenge can seem daunting if you look at the whole picture we're speaking with uh lebby airs who has rode across the atlantic a couple of years ago she said like it's a three thousand mile long race if you think about the fact that you have three thousand miles to ride the entire ocean it's going to be very very hard to get motivated but like if you just think okay i just got to like sit here and do two hours and then the journey kind of like is broken down into pieces i think with even with a massive behemoth task that you've got here of making the this museum successful um eventually the once you start ticking off the objectives it'll be like dominoes hopefully yeah exactly and everything right. will fall into place and it's that thing you get from rowing and from doing a structured training program like, it's amazing how transferable that is into the real world and mm-hmm. into business in particular and i really notice it when you're around people that haven't rowed um even this morning like with the team we were talking about what the the rough numbers are looking like for the next three years and and the last number compared to the number of this year is, is massively different in terms of the income we need to generate. And you kind of feel people rock back a bit like, Lime, I'm not sure. Um, but I just, uh, exactly that. I just, well, hang on. If we just hypothetically, if you break it down, you know, all the different income streams we've got, and then we backpedal three years to where we are now, do you, can you see that transition happening? They're like, well, yeah, we, that makes sense. Well, there we go. So that's one ticked off and let's carry on down the down the spreadsheet and do that for all of them. Yeah, you've got to break it down. Exactly. Like you said, like transferable skills. And this is something we've, we've talked about before and I definitely love like there's so much a rowing teaches you. Um, even if however successful you are in rowing, you still keep all those yeah, tools yeah. and you take them on. And um, it's, it's funny, I was saying I was talking to another friend who's in the business world and having spent a long time in the rowing world struggling with people who aren't turning up on time and, and you know yeah, aren't turning yeah. up to the interview and don't really seem that bothered and he was like really kind of struggling with it and you know we talked and it's just like yeah you've, you've got too used to being around people who are super motivated super yeah. driven happy to to have that delayed gratification to work those small steps towards a um a goal so yeah that's that's cool this well, cool I, to be around i think there's there's two elements in that i think that one as the person in charge you've got to set that standard yeah, and you've got to not be afraid to stick to it. Yeah. So if someone's underperforming, you've got to get into them and 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 figure out how to help them and bring them round, and do all you can. And it's the old like quiet word in the ear, 
then it's coaching, then it's a slightly firmer word in the end. Then at some point, you've got to decide, well, actually, the, the organization's doing this and you're doing this and mm. it's really unfortunate, but but you've got to get in there and, and try and help people um, to to get up to that standard. And as as person in charge, it's great. Like you've got the, the gift that you can set that standard and people have to rise to it. Um, I think the other thing that, that's fascinating from rowing that you take with you is the debrief after a session. Like, I love it. I used to yeah. love those debriefs. Like you can have the worst session It'd be down on one side the whole thing, and then like someone's gobbing off normally at three about where it is. So, and you get back in, and everyone's fuming, and you stand around in that circle, and everyone gets a chance to go around and say, "Well, I think this was good. I think that was rubbish. I think it was your fault. And here's what I'm going to do better next time. Here's what you're going to do better." But the best bit about it is, when you walk away, that's it. Yeah. And you're upstairs, and it's a cup of tea and banter, and and you know you, you carry on. And I think like that works it works really well and you know then that you you can draw a line under it you can switch off but you know then at the next session you're going to switch on again mm. and that like we need that here as well like and and i think bosses need to be able to give feedback and they need to teach people how to give feedback mm. and people need to learn how to receive feedback mm. and understand that it's not it's not a personal attack is mm. that we all have this ambition over here that we're trying to move towards and, yeah and you've got to be prepared to call it out if you if you see it the beautiful thing about what you're saying is that you never will let the problems grow out of proportion because you just keep hashing them out early as, as they arise and you, we keep tackling them and we keep talking about what needs to change. So then they never become too much of an issue down the line. So, you know, you can like really get ahead of uh, any issues that, that can be identified. Yeah. Comps, comps, it's all about comps. Oh, definitely. It's all comps. Um, the email, the smoldering email. Like if someone's annoyed and they fire off that snarky email, like we've I've stamped that out here straight away. It's like if you're annoyed, you have to go and talk to the person. Yeah. It's like if, you, if they're saying great job, like email it to everyone. But if you're upset, like your email is going to be received badly, whichever way you think you're presenting it. So just go and talk to them. And it's, it's never as bad as you think then. Yeah, I think that's, again, from sport, uh, it's the common goal is the thing. Like you said, here is a common goal to improve. But in sport, it's really easy to see that common goal. Uh, we're here to win Henley you're not moving fast enough, I'm going to shout at you or whatever. Shout at you, but you know, we're going to, we're going to do criticism. I always looked at it with rowing, like any athletes that can't take criticism, you're not, you're not going to progress. Like yeah. if you can't take yeah, it, yeah. you just, you just won't be able to progress. Um, yeah, we, we used to talk about it as being coachable. You've yeah. got to be coachable. Yeah. You've got to be able to mould what you're doing um, and, and understand that that feedback is not an attack. It's trying to make you better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, so this then, so when you got here, the challenge... How was it exactly what you thought it was? Was it completely different? Um, I think it's not a surprise to say that the, I think I knew what I was walking into. Yeah. I think when you see the numbers in the cold light of day, it's always a little bit of a moment. Um, I think to be fair to this place, it's it's struggled from a, a lack of a permanent director for quite a while. Mm -hmm. So that's been a really interesting thing to, to watch happen and play out. So when I got here, um, the team felt really siloed. So you'd have your... Um, you know, your marketing person sat over here, your front of house team over here, your creators over here, someone dealing with the roof over here. And there wasn't one person tying them all together. So you can see, again, back to comms, all the comms starts breaking down then. Um, and when I first got here, it was, it was fascinating to walk around and be like, so what's, um, talk to people and go, like, what's your objectives? What are you working towards? And they'd be like, I don't know. But okay, and who's your line manager then? So who's, who's leading you through that? And they're like, oh, I don't know. So I'm like, so when you come to work, are you you're just kind of coming to work and do some stuff and going home? It's like, cool, okay. So my, my I thought what I'd do when I got here was have some time to bed in, write this lovely plan for three years and then study with the team. Actually, when I got here, I was like, 
okay, here's an interim plan. So like within the first few weeks, we had a, an interim strategy to see us through the next three months, an interim structure. Um, and, and that sort of got us going to the point where now I can, I'm just about to finish the plan for the next few years and we can publish that. Um, so yeah, it was a bit of a shock to see that when I got here, but the good side of that is everyone's reacted really well to it. Mm. Um, cause I think actually people want to be led generally. Mm. Um, and so to have that happen quickly, I think was, was good for the team. People seem to react well to it. They seem to be reacting well. Um, but yeah, it was a bit of a surprise to get here and, and see that. Yeah. And then in terms of kind of, yeah, like what the, what the plan is with this thing, um, uh, obviously we sort of thinking, like you said, we've both been here a couple of times and there's probably some people who are like, oh, you know, I've been there, I've seen that. So what's the kind of plan moving forward to try and make sure that, you know, there's always going to be something here that people come and see? Well, that, that in itself is part of the plan. That's so it, yeah, yeah, give people a reason to come back. Um, the, the strategy um, has one ultimate aim, which is to operate back in the black. Mm -hmm. um, but the real trick in the strategy is mapping out how we get there. So there's four key things we're going to do, which we keep talking about, which is um, being sent to the community, redo the galleries. So everything we see here will be completely redesigned, um, lead the debate on healthy rivers and have a world leading education product. So if we do those four things, we think we'll start edging towards it. Um, but then within, within each of those, you've got multiple different goals and tasks we've got to do. So one of those things exactly is more events, more updated galleries, um, more reasons for people to come back here time and time again. So like I was saying earlier, we had the living advent calendar which is something that Henley runs. Um, we had that in here on Friday night. Um, and it's amazing. We had over 100 people downstairs, loads of rows from Leander turned up, loads of like people from the town you wouldn't normally see. There was free gin cocktails going on. It like, it's amazing. It's a really cool event. Um, and so many people there were saying, God, I haven't been here before. We're like, how can you A, live in Henley, B, be in rowing and not come to the River Rome Museum like, yeah. in your hometown? Um, but that's our fault. That's not happening because... Mm -hmm it hasn't been that engaging or interesting for people to come to. So we've got to think of new and exciting ways to inspire people who know about the sport and about the river and about the town. Um, but equally think about those people that don't and give them reasons to come here in the same way that you go to other museums or visitor attractions and see what they're up to. Yeah, I think one, like, I guess one challenge for you, but also one really cool thing about this, it's not just one thing. Like you said, it's a rowing museum, it's a river museum, it's a, it's a museum on Henley. Um, so that's exciting from the point of, like there's a lot to do when you get here. Like if you go to an art gallery, you're not really that into art. Like we, you know, we're kind of interested in it. Whereas here, you've got the rowing and things to interest you, but also some really cool art based around rowing. And yeah. like we saw some in the in the gallery over there. So I think like that's really interesting to get people down here. But I should imagine that's also you kind of having to like work to four different audiences. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And plus, also you've got um, conference room. You've got a place where you can like host events. You've got a cafe where people can come, poss possibly take their laptop and start working. Uh, it's just got really lovely surroundings. It's like we're right next to the river. So if you wanted to take a break from your work, you know, you could go down to the river, 30 second walk. Uh, you've got a gift shop that's got full of like attractions to do with Henley. So if anyone wants to give someone a Henley gift, come here. There's like not a better place to to do that. So there's there's loads and loads of avenues. So it's like really exciting to like see how this place is going to evolve and you know what this museum will look like specifically post Paris as well. Yes, yeah, yeah. And the thing I kept getting told when I uh, got announced in the roles, so I got announced in January. I didn't start until July. Was the two words were challenge and opportunity. Um, so there was there was people in the sport who I know who would be like, oh, you've got the job, congratulations massive opportunity huge challenge and i just kept hearing that for six months and they're right um so every time we say blimey you know we haven't got many people coming in here or oh, the galleries look a bit stale and all that it's like well the opportunity is we can run amazing events 
because of all those things we've got in place here. And we can redesign this gallery and, and reimagine how we tell all these stories. And like, you know, think about the boat race. Like there's so many things we can do for the boat race. There's so much immersive tech we can bring in to really engage the visitors. But it's a massive opportunity. Um, and there's a lot of things that we haven't got in place, which we will, that will just kind of bring us up to where we should be, like the bar. So for example, we haven't got an online shop yet. We'll get an online shop. Um, we're just about to launch online ticketing, which we hadn't had before. Um, but then we'll go beyond that. It's like, well, actually, we'll delve into that shop. And what else can we sell that appeals to certain segments of our visitors? Can we have a traveling exhibition? Can we go up to National Waterfall Centre, Strathclyde Park? Can we talk about rowing up there? You know, there's all sorts we can be doing. So it's really exciting. But it is, as you say, it's effectively three museums in one. So it's a little bit of a challenge as well to try and map it all out. Absolutely. And also, like, as the rowing calendar, like, moves on, like, there's just different races that pop up at, like, each different stage of the year. You've got, obviously, you've got the boat race, you've got Henley, you've got things like trials, etc. So, like, even if uh, you were looking for, like, recurring customers, like, people could come at different stages of the year to, like, learn different parts of, like, the rowing world and, like, what makes the culture in the UK as well. So um, this, I'm, I'm really excited to, like, see yeah, what will be brought out. I think the river one is interesting because we're one of the only, if not the only, museum in the UK dedicated to the river. Okay. Um, so I think there's a real opportunity there, is that word again, um, for us to lead that debate on what a healthy river looks like um, and not necessarily take a hugely political view. Mm -hmm. Clearly, we want it clean and we want biodiversity going on. But I think our sort of um, well, skill and what we can bring to the table is, is to be the platform that everyone gathers around to have the debate. I've got a great vision of Thames Water and all the local environmental groups downstairs like hashing it out to figure out what the solutions are. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the museum's really well placed, both sort of, you know, metaphorically in the space and physically where we are, to be that that sort of organization that can tie it all together. I saw a crazy statistic that said something like 90% of UK rivers are like in an unhealthy state, like too polluted, this is not what it should be. So I think it's it's definitely much needed that we battle the the river health and then we we try and like help it improve like there, there are companies uh like aquascope which is uh andrew tricks hodge works there there's companies like i think uh the rivers trust where imaging grant is now uh, an ambassador so this i think if you could spawn all of those companies and have them like you said battling battling out yeah. downstairs i think i think that would be brilliant it's definitely front and center right now i, I saw it a lot from lockdown because there was not a lot you could do and there was a lot of people going open water swimming especially in Oxford where we're based and like there's a lot more conversation happening about it obviously in terms of like the environment and people looking after it like it is it's a really cool time to have that space and be able to like change it now so I think maybe like five five years ago people weren't as interested yeah um, but things like paddleboarding and just general use of the river I think has gone up I don't know if people like statistics and stuff but like there's a lot more ways to get on the river yeah yeah, um, yeah. and there's a lot more reason to want it cleaner and I think we've got to be slightly nuanced in our approach because I'm I'm always quite practical with this sort of stuff. And like, well, what's the solution? Like, yes, we want it clean, but what next? Like, how do we get it clean? Mm. Um, and ultimately, it comes down to massive investment in the infrastructure of, of managing wastewater. Because mm. um, from the water company side and Thames Water down here, ultimately, they're dealing with a Victorian system that isn't designed to cope with A, the amount of people, or B, the amount of um, industry that's gone on around the river. So there's a lot more concrete for examples it's a lot easier for water to slide off into the water way rather than get absorbed into the ground so you sort of you have to work with the water companies i think in order to find a solution to clean the river up um 
So I think it is, it, there's a lot of people shouting at the moment about how bad it is. Mm. And they're right. But we've got to start now, I think, moving forward into what's the next step and how do we actually solve it? It's another lesson from Ryan we've talked about before is um, Morgan Byron Williams said they were having in those debriefs quite a lot of negative. I didn't like this, didn't like some of this. They made a rule in the crew was like, don't bring me a negative unless you've got a solution. Yeah. And I think yeah, that's yeah. very easy to say, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. Okay, but what? Well, I don't know what to do. Well, yeah, no one knows what to yeah. do. That's what that's, if it was easy, we'd, we'd have fixed it. Um, but yeah, that's one of those things. Yeah, you, you, you can talk about it a lot. And then it's talking about doing stuff. But yeah, you're right. It's not It's not going to be something that just gets fixed overnight. Yeah. And even if it gets fixed, once it gets fixed, then what's next, like you said? Because a lot of people will like look at a goal and think, okay, I just need to get up to this stage, achieve this. Okay, but what's going to happen after? Because mm-hmm. there needs to be a plan as well. And in terms of this side, like in terms of like the like you've got like the coolest stuff. Here. Like, you, you know, I've been here before, but you've got Redgrave Sydney for... Uh, for the the pair behind you is is from 2012. Like all the all the memorabilia and stuff in it, the sliding rigger single and all these kind of things. Yeah, you know, I'm an absolute geek of rowing. It's kind of accidental geek of rowing. Like I didn't I never set out to be it, but in the yeah. pursuit of, of of being as good as I can, you 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 look at all the different ways. But yeah, I think like everything you've got here is absolutely incredible. And like you said, the the exciting thing is like modernizing the way that you do that. You know, you bring that to people. Like changing, like we were you know talking about changing the way that stuff's presented in order to make it easier yeah yeah absolutely right you should come and see our storage unit there's some bizarre boats over there i'll never leave there's, yeah yeah <laughs> we've got this i put it on linkedin there's a single that's got um it's got an inverted v-shaped bow and stern yeah a normal shape in the middle so like i don't know how on earth they got around corners because if both edges are digging into the water like it i can't see how it'd be done but anyway wow we hope we i'd like sneak it onto the water at some point without telling the curators um <laughs> but yeah no, i think the Looking around some of the exhibits we've got here, like you're exactly right that the tech is a really good way of how we can bring it all to life. Mm. Um, so we've got the boat race display over there. Um, which, if you come in now, it's nice. We've got some interesting things. We've got the original letter on display that started the boat race of the first challenge. We've got the the, um, the coin that they use, the coin toss every year. Wow. We have that here. Um, and we shortly, hopefully, um, we'll work with the boat race to display their trophies outside yeah. of the um, races themselves. Yeah. Um, but then I think we've got to do more to bring the whole story to life. So you could have those things, redo that display, but then also wouldn't it be great if we've got this Immerse You interactive um, rower, Immerse You row, so you can actually sit on the boat race course and have a go. Um, or could we film a boat race with 360 cameras and put the goggles on and you could cock the start of the boat race and see what the clashing is all about. Like, so doing that starts to bring it to life for people that would love it if you're in the sport because you know what clashing is all about. But equally, if you're not in the sport, That'd be amazing to sit in there yeah. and feel what it's like. Absolutely. Plus, boat race itself carries so many like statistics with with, it, with the race. So the boat race contains a few bridges on its course, and then obviously there are statistics that like whichever crew is past a certain bridge first, then they're more likely to win, etc. So like, obviously those statistics we spoke with uh, some Oxford and Cambridge athletes, they they carry a lot of weights, especially like in athletes' heads as they race, etc. It would be like really brilliant to to actually also like do some data analytics and, and see how that all comes out and be able to present that. So then, you know, once people have visited the museum and then they watch the boat race the next year, they're like, oh, okay, I know what's going to happen, yeah, like yeah, the odds yeah. of this or maybe the probability here and there. It's just also like what you take out after after a trip to the museum. Like what, what do you learn rather than also just, just look at a few things, go out and then just completely forget about the experience. Like I think with what you've got here, you can easily create a story that, you know, will stick with people and like they will feel really that they've gained something and they've learned something like once they 
must have been here. Yeah, uh, that's exactly right. We've got to think about what we want people to feel when they leave. And like, how on earth do you measure that? Mm. It's, it's really difficult. Um, but we should always be thinking like that. So we talked about the river. So we should get people to feel that there is an issue at the moment, but equally there's something that can be done and there's hope and there's actions they can take to, to help solve it. Um, rowing's a great one. What do we want people to feel about rowing when they leave here? I think one of the things you want them to feel is just how flipping hard rowing is. Because mm. um, people, when you see it from the outside, you don't really get it and you don't get the people like bleeding from the eyeballs from about mm. the first 400 metres of a race till, till the last um, the last 106 minutes later. Um, the boat race data is really interesting. So, you know, I know the guys that are working on that, we can now see the heart rates of the athletes when they're racing. Um, and that's fascinating. And I think if we could bring in a story like that to live here, to try and understand to someone like, if you sit at 180 for 16 minutes, like, it's really hard. It's probably not that healthy for you either. Um, probably not. Um, but we're trying to get people to understand just what that feeling is like of how hard a, a, a race is. I mean, maybe we, you know, we have ergs and we give people challenges to have a go and they can, they can yeah. start to feel it. Make them do a 2K. Yeah. So everybody comes, yeah. is going to have to do a 2K. Can't leave doors are locked. <laughs> <laughs> I think what would be cool is to just to show also like how buoyant the, bo- uh, the boats are. Because yeah. you could watch rowing from a distance and you think, oh, okay, that looks cool. But then the boats are super light. They're very like unstable. Uh, it takes quite a lot of skill to, to be able to like balance and center these things. So possibly if there was maybe like a, a boat simulator as well, where yeah, like yeah. people could, could actually get to like see just how hard it is to like sit still Absolutely. in a single. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that'd be brilliant because again, people don't understand how tippy these boats are until you sat in one, particularly singles. Um, but leading on from that is one thing we'd like to do in the future is have some sort of river bolt on to the experience here. So you can see all this back rowing and think, wow, I'd really like to have a go. And then we've got a boat ready that can take you out and sort of merge what I was doing at Fulham with this place and get people on the water. That'd be amazing. Uh, yeah, that'd be really cool. I guess, on the, yeah, like you said, like you have people who know about rowing. Like for me, like I love to come and see all this stuff. But then you also want to be accessible to people who have no knowledge of it and like build it all from here. Um, and yeah, getting on the water, just, yeah. I mean, that's what it's all about, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, we, we often had that, um, in Fulham, you know, we were dealing with, um, we had 1300 kids a rowing, they're huge numbers and you're constantly trying to work out what's the most efficient way to get those numbers through. And it, inevitably it always came back to, let's use the erg, like we'll get them all on the erg and we'll intro, intro them on the erg and then we'll go on the water. And I am yet to see anybody sit on an erg and be inspired to go rowing like you inspire people by sitting them on the water and pushing them off yeah and then they fall in love with the sport and want to come back and then the erg becomes a tool they use to get better at rowing but the inspiration happens out on the water not on the rowing machine well that's 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 really funny like in poland uh you can't really row in the amounts of between november and april because all the water's frozen (laughs) because of all the winter so actually i started rowing in january i didn't get out on the water until may so my first like five months of rowing was just the ergo and i loved it people were like wait until you get on the water it gets so much better i was like better what do you mean i love this already oh there you go but then i got on the water and then yeah 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 any athlete you coaching that enjoys the erg you're like he's gonna when we get out there He's going to love it. Yeah, 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 exactly right. Yeah. So also, you can't really talk about rowing without talking about the Olympics, especially from a, from a British perspective. Um, and you showed us again, we walked around, that the, you've got a plan for, for Paris. Yeah, so we're going to have a temporary display in to talk about um, the links between Henley and the Olympics. Mm-hmm. So we're calling it Olympic Henley. <laughs> you know, love that. The genius to work out. Um, it's actually, just to flick back to museums for a second, it's been really interesting to figure out how you program stuff that happens in a museum. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because normally you'd have a, a programming manager and you'd have team meetings and get around and we haven't really got any of that infrastructure. So we are just kind of trying stuff. Um, and so I'm having to to use my sort of creative side, which I've, you know, I haven't used in sort of GCSE art. So, um, <laughs> so it's been interesting trying to um, come up with the, the ideas for it. But yeah, so we're going to have Olympic Henley um, and it's, it's talking about the fact that Henley hosted the Games in 1908 and 1948. Um, and we're going to talk about the athletes that took part in it. Um, and we've got the double hanging up there. Is it double? Sorry, the pair that hanging up there that raced uh, in 48 and got a gold. Um, and then we're going to concentrate on athletes that are taking part. So Sir Steve is hopefully going to give us his five golds so we can put them on display. Um, and then we're also going to have a talk um, given hopefully by Sir David Tanner. Uh, which will talk about GB's path to um, Olympic and Paralympic success. Because um, it's a fascinating time from the Atlanta Games forward. Mm. So obviously in Atlanta, Great Britain's only Olympic gold medal of the entire Games came from Redgrave and Pinson in the pair, which is, incidentally, we have downstairs in the cafe hanging up. Um, but that was the time the lottery funding kicked in. Um, and so David then was involved and was really sort of the architect behind all of the wins. And to think from 96, where... We won one gold medal across the entire team. Uh, a, we now have dominated men's, women's, and Paralympic rowing, but also GB as a country. You know, kids these days will see us like third or fourth in the medal table and kind of think, oh, that's about right. Not knowing that like we were battling it out with South Korea back in the day, and like this, it's a massive turnaround. Mm. Um, so the, the Olympic exhibition will look to to really highlight that and pick up all the other athletes around the town that have, that have raced at the games. Mm. Um, obviously a big focus on rowing but we'll try and try and see who else we can uh, we can get involved um so it'll run for two months it'll run during the henley week which would be great so we we'll try and get people up here give people a reason to come when they're not racing to come and see it all and um and yeah just just um showcase all that the olympics is about and try and tell the new audience yeah that's i love the backstory that's a lot of what we do here like even even people i rode with or i know like it's so interesting to kind of just go back and see like the past you know the origin story as it were yeah uh, as a yeah it's not quite as exciting as marvel but um <laughs> uh, yeah no i find that really interesting and just seeing like you said what goes into it to show it's it's so easy just to look at a pair moving how elegant and smooth and, and effortless it looks and to think that uh for a six minute race most people put more than four years but you know probably more like eight or ten years of their life into into this six-minute race, so even for Heli Regatta, I think when in your winning year, I think one of your crewmates has calculated like how many uh, training sessions or how many k you did per every stroke you took in that we final. Were, yeah, we worked out it was about eighteen kilometers of rowing per stroke we yeah, took in the that, final, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think that's one of the things I find fascinating about going back to club rowing. Like it's a hobby, effectively. When when you like, anytime you're training full time and trying to be on that precipice between winning really Heli and the squad and on that pathway, but before I was doing. Like I've got a job and I've got like rent and stuff and I've this is what I do for fun. But even like we were training twelve times a week at some point with a full time job. And you think like I don't know any other amateur sport where you do that. You do that level of training. And and you know, like all our annual leave was used up on training camps and Henley Week. And like that was it. And like the number of weddings I missed and christenings and whatever else. And yeah, I just I always look back and think, what was I thinking? Um but then I wouldn't change it because it's all those memories you've got and all that cool stuff you went on to achieve and and you're pushing yourself outside of work to achieve this this goal with a bunch of other people like and and you know i've sort of i joined london in 06 but before that i was running at clubs from the senior club from 2000 onwards and you know i've still got great mates from them because yeah. you sort of 
forge those friendships in in the in the adverse times. Um, but yeah, I, I always find it fascinating how much work goes in to club rowing when it is just like it's just club rowing. And on the outside, like your mates don't really care if you win a handy medal or not. Like no one knows what you're talking about. Um, but it means so much when you're in it. Yeah, we talked about that before about you know rowing being your whole life. But when you have to do it 14, 16 times a week, it is your whole life and everything else revolves around it. There is an opportunity cost, yeah. Even yeah. at a school level, you school kids training 10, 12 times. I remember when I was at school, you know, my coach was saying, I don't think there's any other school sports that train this hard. It's amazing. Yeah, but it's, yeah, it's what it takes. Although I'd say at the same time, like there probably is a bit more knowledge in terms of training coming in now. Yeah. There's probably a few more. I mean, New Zealand have been pretty good at like following the the up-to-date sort of knowledge in terms of like how hard you work maybe you can work a bit harder but for not as long and yeah. things like that so like things i mean you can't really train any harder anymore like it's yeah. not like you said with a business you you, you all your holiday is your, is your rowing even like the national athletes you know if they're funded they're already training two three times a day like you can't do any more of that so it's the other stuff that becomes yeah. exciting yeah, yeah. this is the thing like the landscape of the sport has shifted so much in the last 30 years in particular like pretty much since the atlanta games since those games that you mentioned like rowing has become like more professional as a sport and like it wasn't always training 16 times a week doing like 80 or 100 plus k a week on the water so it's like it's really it's really easy to look at a point and just think, okay, well, we're here, but how do we get here? And mm. to tell that story of like how rowing has evolved and like what, how it's changed. Like obviously, this there's like a display Tom was showing me in the museum here where you've got like a decked rowing. Yes. So yeah, there's yeah. like different heights, and you know, rowing was used as a mode of transportation back in the day, and like then for about two hundred years, there's been the Oxford College rowing system where they have the bumps regatta, etc., and then the evolution into the Olympic rowing into into what it is now. I think that's that's really fascinating, and also like it's probably not something that many people think about because it's just especially people who aren't involved with rowing like like you said to them it doesn't matter if you win a henley medal or not they'll just switch on the tv when the olympics are there and they'll yeah. think oh they're just <laughs> moving the boat on the water okay but like no one really like takes the time to think about like how do we get here and like what challenges like how, what kind of sacrifices do you also need to like put into place in order to even be able to compete or like have a shot at the medal yeah uh, at those types of events and it's interesting that uh, sort of you callous your hands um, David Goggins does that, doesn't he? But you callous your mind as well. Like you, you do hard things, um, and that stays with you. Like you, you, you learn to push yourself into uncomfortable places. Um, that's definitely something I've, I, as a clubber, I've definitely got a bit of that. Like I'm, I'm quite happy, um, just grinding it out for want of a better phrase, and that probably sums up my rowing career. Um, but I think it's a really important skill. Like it, it takes a lot for rowers generally to give up um and you know on an erg even in a race in particular you, you don't stop like you keep going until something makes you stop and i think it's an interesting one uh for rowing as a sport i i, I tell this story sometimes so i went to school um with a chap called jermaine jenis so he played football for england um and he was a year below me at school and i like i didn't know him particularly well but the i think what was interesting was in sixth form the two year groups to do PE together so we go and play football and I would watch Jermaine score goals and then an hour later the teacher blow the whistle and we go in. So like my team's won and I've done nothing but just get cold and like watch him score. Um, but the fascinating thing in rowing and what we worked a lot on Fulham um, around teaching the kids on, on this was um, in this boat, if, if you back off, I lose. 
or if I, sorry, if I back off, you lose. So I'm pushing myself into an uncomfortable place for your success because I don't want to deal with the fact that you might lose if I stop. Um, and again, there's not many sports that teach that. Absolutely. Um, and it's, I think if you can get, particularly at the junior level, if you can get kids to get that, that is a lesson that stays with you forever. One of the assistant directors for the Boys in the Boat film that's coming out soon, he said that uh, one of the first things he said to the guys when they started training for it for a few weeks before they even like got to filming, he was like, rowing is the ultimate team sport. Everyone has to do exactly the same thing at the same time with the same level of exertion, uh, perfectly in sync, or otherwise the boat doesn't move. Yeah. It's, it really is the ultimate team sport in that regard. It's not like football, you know, if one guy doesn't show up, you can still play a game. But like in rowing, someone doesn't show up. Exactly right. It's not happening. You learn to get out of bed. Yeah. yeah. That's another lesson. Like five in the morning, it's not great, but it's not, it's not that difficult. Just get your feet out of bed and then get going. Um, There's plenty of times where you're right. The motivation to not let your mates down is a lot stronger than not letting yourself down. Oh, way stronger. Way. And I think also you'll see those times over the years, you'll have that one crew where it clicks and it's just a feeling like nothing else. And then you'll have that one group where it really does it. I mean, I've been in boats with a fire's broken out mid-session, like, and it's just like, well, this is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, this is interesting, right? Um, um, yeah. So you, you learn a lot about working as part of a team, I think, in the sport. Yeah, definitely. But also the challenge thing, you know, when, then when in later life, you know, I talked about it before again, but like, I, I deal with life better because I've wrote, and I deal with challenges better. And even when something difficult comes up, you're like, well, I've, I've, you know, overcome difficult things before. Mm-hmm. I'll you can kind of sidestep the emotion of it and just kind of get straight into like, how can I fix this? Yeah. Well, there's um, not many things that are harder than the third 500. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was watching uh, some reality TV show uh, with my wife and and I was just amazed at how the, the smallest thing comes up and just, you know, they were working in teams and one of their friends gets knocked out and all of a sudden like they just can't deal with it and people are crying and throwing tantrums because and you're yeah. just like... Adults. I just can't. Yeah, right, yeah. Because you, and then to be fair, like, you know, Maybe they haven't done a sport like rowing that's kind of taught you those those things. And I think there's something to be said in that as well about being physically active. Yeah. It does just chill you out a lot more. And you're, there's some science behind it, which I've, I've heard, like I've half listened to at some point. But it's the idea that if your brain is, is working hard to, let's say, outrun a tiger or go for a jog as we do these days, it's not then that worried or sweating the small stuff that, yeah. would, that would otherwise trouble you. Yeah. And if you're not, pushing yourself and being physically active, then your tiger becomes that angry email or, you know, whatever else it is. So, yeah, I think you you row at a high level and you you row hard and you spend a lot of time and then when you stop, I think the trick is to stay, not at that level, but to stay consistent in some sort of training so that you, you maintain that level of, you know, let's not sweat the small bits. Yeah. yeah. To be able to show that and introduce new people to the sport, to show them like how much they just they stand to gain that, things that they wouldn't even imagine like when I started rowing I didn't imagine it would take me here to where I am today and like that's it's brilliant and I, I just hope so many more people can can learn about the sport what it can do for them and just how fantastic it is because like we're not doing it because we hate it we're doing it we're here because we love the sport yeah I never thought I'd be doing this <laughs> yeah. but I think that's really exciting for that for for rowers certainly um I know that we've uh, had a lot of uh, or a lot of people are interested in, in working with us or, or, you know, having us because we're kind of in the sport. Mm. We're rowers, you know, four rowers, four rowers by rowers. And I think that's a really interesting thing for people to know now is that it's one of us in charge, like you yeah. said. But yeah, yeah. in the past, maybe it wasn't. It was more of a museum with some rowing things in, whereas now, like you said, like you really have that kind of mindset. And I think that's going to make it really interesting 
sort of how these things are presented. Because um, the same thing, you know, like we've spoke before about um, Rory uh, Crookshank, who does the new um, that's one, one yeah. it's like, or then the new photography company. We spoke to him and he's talking about how there were photographers that did it, but it weren't necessarily rowers. They didn't sort of work out how to get the best shots or what works best and all those kind of things. And his business has really developed because he has that knowledge of photography, but also knowledge of rowing. Yeah. And I yeah, think yeah. in order to do it, you need both. Um, and I think with this, and you've got the museum and the knowledge of the museum and then the knowledge of the rowing. And I think that's yeah. kind of what can take uh, it up. There's always been a bit of a tension with this place. Um, in the You've got a museum about the town of Henley. And then a museum about rowing and the river and um those two things have always pulled against each other um and so part of my job is to actually bind them together and be like well, actually we're a museum with three topics we're going to talk about um but i feel well placed to do that because i've got rowing experience i've been on the river since i was a kid and i i you know like yourselves i paddleboard in it i swim in it and you know, i take my kids in the river um but i live in henley as well so uh, i'm able to speak to all the groups because I genuinely live and breathe, you know, the, the subject matter of the museum. So it's it's making it um it's making that bit a bit easier for me to be able to to have those conversations. That's good. That's there's, really good. there's something to be said also about like hiring rowers because like you know exactly that they're gonna turn up, they're they're, they're disciplined, they work hard, they don't stop until the job's done. They don't stop when they're tired, certainly. Uh, who were we talking to? Was it Jeff from Hampton? He said that when he started like his boat repairing company in South Africa, the first thing he did was hire rowers. Because at least he knew what he was yeah, going to get. Yeah, exactly, you know, yeah. he, there's some form of like, there's like a reliability badge that comes from like being involved with the sport. It's a small world as well. It's a small community. Um, as I laugh, people say, you know, the whole world is six degrees of separation. I think rowing in the UK is one. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you don't exactly. No rower, you will both know one at yeah, someone else. 100%. It's really small. And we've done, I've, you know, my company's been around a while. I've done really well from from just word of mouth and yeah, and people talking and do a good job and impress a few people they'll go and talk to some other yeah, people and exactly. it's like a real small world so word gets around quite quickly which is cool and also like if you were to like hire someone who's not a rower the first thing you do is teach them about rowing so yeah. you might as well like yeah, stick, yeah, stick yeah. to rowing anyway don't let everyone like disappear into some corporate offices once they finish their career i think it'll be like really cool to like keep um keep the community and keep the pack going and just sort of like stick together as uh, as a unit which is Again, something that like hopefully we can achieve with this podcast as well and be able to like spread the knowledge about um, all the different aspects. And like, I think it's brilliant that we get to sit down with, uh, with someone like yourself to, to discuss like obviously such an important aspect of the sport, which is its history. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, and like, it'd be interesting to see, I think British Rona started doing this, getting the British team alumni. Mm-hmm. To, I think they're now tracking who's actually rode for Great Britain. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, I heard this. Yeah, so... Um, the British Olympic Association gives everyone who's been to the Olympics a number. You have like a number. And British rowing wants to do the same for if you've rowed for GB. Mm. I think that being at whatever level, junior. Yeah, so they, so everyone will have like a little number. I think the Olympic one, you get like a little pin badge or something. Maybe something okay. similar. Yeah. But yeah, because that's kind of been lacking from that national team. Because it's very high end. When you're there, you're in. And then when you're out, you're out. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's pretty cool that they've been doing that. Yeah. You can sort of see us having an dis- interactive display here where you can go and find your, type in your name or your number and oh, you know, yeah. pull up the profile of the person. Yeah, that'd be yeah. cool. That'd be really cool, yeah. Because sometimes also like people who have rode for for, the, for their country, like just because they may, may have not necessarily come away with a medal from the Olympics, they might also like devalue their experience sometimes, but it's it's not that way at all. Like if you've rode for your national team, like it's a, it's a really big deal. And like hopefully 
we can we can make people like more proud of it. And I think having an interactive display like that, that would be great. I'll just look everyone up. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. you wouldn't get him off it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I need to have like a special after hours pass or something. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, so, couple questions. Yeah, we've had some questions that we've asked on Instagram that um, to our audience to to kind of like get um, a bit of a feel and feedback for the Rome Museum. So like one of the, one of the questions was about the online presence. Like some people like were surprised that something like the River and Rome Museum exists in Henley. So are there steps that you're taking to, to be like more present in the online sphere? Yeah, I mean, market awareness is probably like the biggest challenge we've got. Um, so we've done some research on it. And if you look at local museums to us, so like Reading Museum and Museum of English Royal Life, which you may not have been to, may not have heard of, people have heard of them more than they have us. Um, oh. and if you start then looking at things like um, Windsor or Legoland like we're nowhere to be seen mm. um, so we, yeah we have to boost our presence um, and, and the big challenge here really is one around marketing because we can update the galleries and, and do all those bits I was talking about earlier and that's, that's fairly straightforward that's just a list of tasks the real challenge is how we get it in front of people mm. um, and so there's two groups of people we're going to target initially so one is our, our home market is Henley so that's real sort of classic hand-to-hand marketing. That's leafleting, flyering, um, targeted Facebook ads, all that sort of stuff to get in front of the town because in the dark winter months where we are now, yeah, they're the people that will come out and support us. Uh, and then as it starts to open up, it'll be um, primarily families within an hour's drive of here who are our first target. We think there's about a million people in that bucket we can target. Um, and But to do that, you know, the world we live in now, we have to, we have, to have social media, we have to have... Um, paid advertising on those social media platforms. We have to think about you know, what we're putting out across all those platforms, how often, when. We're going into A-B testing now, so two slightly different versions of the same advert and effectively play winner stays on, so we keep saying which one performs best. Um, through then to make sure that our website makes sense, we have online tickets, online shop. Um, but also we, <laughs> actually what comes down to also doing interesting things. So we can shout about different things. Um, because if there's nothing going on here, then it doesn't matter how good your marketing is, people will see through it. Um, so yeah, so there's there's a, a big job to shout about the museum. Um, and it's probably my main job really is to be um, present and be um, vocal about the place and, and try and control the narrative a bit, a little bit and, and push that narrative out there. Because again, the directors here, I don't think have done that necessarily. And I think in today's world, generally if you're in leadership you need to be visible and you need to be pushing the message so so yeah i'll be doing a lot of that over the coming years nice well there, i've got some ideas that i'd like to like push your way off air okay. uh, once once we finish recording so maybe maybe there's something that uh that might be interesting in taking on absolutely online's the future you know we've done the same thing with our business i've been i'm pretty i'm not great at it at the, the social media stuff but i sort of noticed definitely a different side part of doing this and stuff and getting your name out there um, I agree on it. It's another message from Ray. Bosses, boss, and leaders lead. Um, and I think, yeah, you have to be prepared to get stuck in and show people the way. Um, and again, you know, like we said before, I think if you show that you're part of the community of rowing, then I think that's really going to certainly, we, I've seen it, that that's a big thing in rowing. That's something that people respond to. Um, businesses that do well in rowing are ones that are run by rowers. Yeah. Um, yeah. Companies that come in and think there's some money to be made here, you know, I'll slap a, sticker on a t-shirt and you get them they don't seem to tend to last that long so i think that's a key that you guys have obviously locked in now already and also you tend to connect with people rather than businesses so like yeah. it's also yeah. it couldn't be stated anymore like the importance of having a personal brand and like having someone like yourself who's so heavily involved with rowing 
like you actually care about the sport and you care about this place doing well so that's 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 a really big first step see yeah cool i we've had another question and i think that might be linked to the refurbishments that have mm -hmm. been carried out here but uh, it read why was the museum shut during the last two henley weeks um well i think i think we were open to this henley it works i came in my blazer so we were, we were just open um but we've been closed for six months while a load of refurbishment went on so the museum um basically the, the the required works and the preventative maintenance you should do in a building like this hadn't been done um and so effectively the roof was leaking there was 14 buckets at one point um wow. and you can't have a collection with a leaky building you just can't like as an accredited museum there are certain standards we have to stick to to ensure that the ergs and the boats and everything else um deteriorate as slowly as possible and if the building's leaking that's a big red flag so you can't do that so um decision was taken coming out of covid that you know, we, we, the museum isn't going to turn itself around without a significant, um, a significant bit of work. So trustees said, right, we're going to close. We'll fix the central roof we've got where the leaks are coming from. But as well as that, we're just going to put everything right that hadn't been put right. So as well as that, we converted building two over there from an education centre into office units. So we lease those out and help with the income side of things. We've completely redone all of our uh, back-end CRM systems, all of our CCTV, our fire intruder alarms have all been redone. Um, loads of work done out in the front around landscaping bits and pieces. Um, hired a new director, like all sorts of bits and pieces that have gone in to to get the place back in a position that I can come in now and actually run it. Um, and we're just closing off the last few bits of that, but that's been the real uh, the real reason behind it because kind of we had to. We couldn't continue running it the way it was being run. Um, so it was a big brave decision. We've invested um like being blunt millions of our own cash um and we can't do that forever so this now has to work and we, we have to turn it around i think that's also the exciting thing like we're not here sat here like not much has changed but please come down you know yeah. it's like no a lot has changed like a lot of money's been invested a lot of things are, are, are in the works stuff that's coming forward i think that's like exactly like cool to, to send yeah. that message yeah. out i mean you know we'll know we're getting it right we see it's busy again you can might be able to hear now. There's a school kicking around. Um, you know, we want that noise and that excitement and that buzz around the place um, because it's it means there's more people that we can tell interesting stories to and inspire them to to keep involved in the sport. Hopefully. So you said that you had living calendar, living advent calendar mm -hmm. from Henley uh, being hosted at the museum here. Are there any other like events for the community that you're planning out in the near future? Um, yeah, well, obviously, Boys in the Boat is coming out in January. Oh yeah. Um, so we are um, hosting a screening of that for our friends. So we we bought the entire cinema for on the Saturday night. Um, so we've got is that a, a, a Regal Picture a, House. Regal Picture House, yeah. Absolutely. So ah, oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. So screen one, that'll be us. Yeah. Um, and we've got um, yeah, 150 of our friends. We were coming down and we, we just want to shout about the movie and about sport rowing um, and then highlight the bits of the collection we've got here that are linked to the film. Um, so as I mentioned at the start, you know, George Pocock was a coach. We've got the letter he wrote when he was on the boat to, to Germany. Um, we've got uh, a wreath, which you probably can't see, but we've got a wreath over there that was awarded to the um, British double that won um, in 36 um, and lo loads of other bits and pieces of memorabilia from the event. So um, I think it's going to be... I think it's going to be quite huge for Rowan in the UK, this mm. film, because um, I don't think Mr. Clooney's messed around when he's put this together. So I think it's going to be a great, great story. Um, and I think it's going to resonate with lots of people outside of rowing. So hopefully British rowing and the clubs are ready 
and you can start sort of funneling people in. Um, but certainly we think it's important to be there and, and use it as a springboard to chat about the collection. I think it's fantastic that films like that are being made about the sport. Uh, more people need to find out about it and obviously who's better to bring it into the spotlight than Mr. Clooney himself, right? Yeah, they definitely, you know, from what we've heard, obviously I know some friends and stuff have been involved in it. Um, they definitely, they didn't skimp on, on the rowing bits and they've definitely put some hard work into that. Um, and there's some of the people they brought in, in to like oversee it very you know successful rows in their own right so i think that's really exciting it's not just going to be like you know it's going to be a big part of it and it's going to be showcased like rowing really is showcasing mm. just showcased in that in that film which i think is exciting it's not just a film about something else but a bit of rowing yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's always funny these films like true blue social mm. network that as rowers you're watching it for that long shot where it's like well they know how to row and then you get the closer to the actors and like well you obviously don't know how to row so like it's <laughs> going to be fascinating to see how well the, the actors are rowing. Yeah, I mean, it's like always, obviously, you know, they have to, there's a limit to how good they can get. Um, but yeah, we, we, I was involved in a bit of that social network stuff as well, which was quite funny. But yeah, the long shots were all filmed at Henley with no actors. Yeah. And then, um, but again, I think for that one, they did they did a, a good job. But from what I've sort of heard from Boys in the Boat, it's going to be another level. Yeah. I wonder how much CGI they're going to use. Maybe, maybe they'll just take a video from the 1992 Barcelona pair and they'll just like CGI everyone's face onto Pinson and Redgrove's body. They're going to use loads because they, you know, it's no, it's no secret that they filmed down here on the Henley Reach, mm. but it all needs to be in, in America or Germany. So presumably there's going to be CGI all over the place. Like, yeah, they have come to life. Morsey Boat Club got all put up as the, as the German boat club. Oh, is that right? Up there. Yeah, 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 which is quite funny. So yeah. they had, um, I think at one point they were having to fly Nazi flags very briefly for shots and like take it down again take it down yeah. <laughs> those sorts of things but yeah no I think that's yeah like I agree I think it'll be really good for the sport there seems to definitely be a big buzz around yeah. that film yeah sure. yeah I mean we're part of yeah British rowing community but there's certainly a big buzz around yeah we, we put our tickets live for people to to nab effectively and they were gone within about six hours yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so wow for rowing that's yeah, yeah. crazy yeah just to put it into perspective yeah yeah awesome I guess uh, we've just got some quick fire round questions to ask you. So I normally start by asking you, but out of all the rowing venues that you've trained at, visited, or rowed at, or raced at, what are some of your favourites and why? Um, Calcutta Rowing Club was always pretty cool. Wow. Um, so yeah, we got um, when I was at London, we got flown out there to race in the International Friendship Regatta against uh, Calcutta, the Indian Army Karachi Boat Club. Um, some of the vets from Molsey came out as well. Karachi Boat Club. That was amazing. We've got an so athlete cool. from a Karachi Boat Club. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, there you go. Um, so that was that was awesome. That was just a, a week like nothing else. Just a total assault on the senses. Best hospitality I've ever had. And um, an amazing, amazing row. Uh, the boat, oh man, it was like a, a, a battleship is like the best way I can describe it. And just like the, the, the rigging was just all over the shop. So we ended up we ended up winning, and that was always good fun. But like, yeah, it was a bit of a struggle to get to the end of the week. But great, great fun. Um, so, so Calcutta was great. Head of the Charles was always amazing. Like huge after party there. Um, and where else? I tell you, one of the the best ones I went to. We did a race in uh, Galicia, in northern Spain. I think it's Spain, not Portugal. Um, and just incredible. Like this, the expanse of water was so big that when you were rowing back your peripheries were all water wow like oh. it was weird it was a really bizarre i mean it was it wasn't it was a lake but it was just enormous and so it's quite a bizarre feeling to be rowing and not see the bank yeah without having to properly look around and go for it so that that always stood out as a 
good ones about that. I think there would still be some novice coxes that would like find a <laughs> way find a way to crash into <laughs> the bank. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. My next question is: If you were to repeat one race or regatta again when you're sixty or seventy, what would it be and why? Um, the one. Well, can I can pick two. You I'll can pick quick. as many I'll as you pick, like. Be quick. So t- the one is at Wallingford, uh, Wallingford Regatta, when they first built Dawn, it was still a 1500 meter course. We were racing open eights and we beat Leander, who I think we're racing a star and Aris, it might be development crew. And we raced at London. Um, but it was, so that was great because we were winning. Um, but the hilarious part in that race was uh, the Cox shouting, we're in second. And then the bowman, just clear as a bell, just said, I think you're fine. We're in first <laughs> with like 900 meters into this like absolute balls out race. Uh, we stuck with us and then we like, we beat Leander and everyone's obviously celebrating. That was really cool. Um, and the other one that stood out was racing. It's a really random one. I was meant to go to Ghent, um, but lost my passport. So I was one of those rowers that year. Uh, <laughs> so, so couldn't go to Ghent. So ended up staying back in London and we went to race at, um, Poplar Regatta over at Docks. Yeah. And they'd, they'd raced in the morning, um, got beaten by all these schoolboys, and then they dropped me and this other guy into the, the afternoon. And everyone, it was great, because everyone was just so downtrodden and just disappointed to lose to these kids. And I remember going in there and being like, right, just gripping the crew, and just being like, look, schoolboys have got one race plan, and that is go flat out from the start and hang on. I was like, so we're going to be down at 500, we're going to be level at a K, and we're going to win by a length. And that's exactly what panned out. And that was, yeah, it was great to be in that boat and sort of Amazing. help make it happen. So, yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Awesome answer. Yeah. Uh, a question I usually ask is if you could go travel back in time to the age you were when you really first caught the bug for rowing, what advice would you give that kid? And it doesn't have to be serious or just anything that you think would help. Yeah, I'd say don't, uh, don't injure your back. Go and get it seen <laughs> like, quickly. Um, and... You know, weirdly, I probably would have backed myself more early doors because yeah. I, I probably went for it a bit too late. So, yeah, I think I'd probably say, like, just give it a crack early doors. Um, that's still benefits of hindsight, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's yeah. it. You know, like, hopefully there are some, you know, I ask all our guests that question. Uh, hopefully there's some 14-year-old rowers now and we can kind of give some of that information yeah. to that maybe takes a little bit longer to work out. But, um, yeah, no, we've had that asked before and I think that's a great one, Mike. Um you know, it's it's okay to have a bit of a dream and it's okay yeah, to yeah. go for it. And some other people might laugh at you, but you know, it's your dream. Um, but definitely, if you feel your back twinging, get it seen to quickly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Second that one. <laughs> awesome. Uh, I've just got one last question, and that is: uh, Who are some of your rowing idols or people you've looked up to during or post your career? Um, so for me, when I got into rowing, so I started in ninety six, seven ish. So that's the Redgrave Pinson era. Yeah. Um, so that Sydney boat that's hanging there, like that's that's my favourite thing in the collection because oh. that's totally um, line and sinking me into the sport. Um, so Redgrave and Pinson uh, are probably the biggest sort of inspirations from a rowing point of view. Um, but that four in itself, like you know, Tim Foster, you know, arguably one of the best boat movers we've ever had in the squad ever. Um, and a great and bloke too. Great bloke, and 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 um, Cratland the Bowsy is just you know a phenomenal athlete as we all know and and clearly loves the sport and has done amazing things in it since then so um so yeah it's probably those two um and i think i mean the slightly cheesy answer is i'm always really inspired by those people that that stay at the club coalface for decades at a time stay on the committees and keep making it happen because you know the vast majority of people involved in the sport are volunteers and the clubs you know the clubs are mini businesses and they don't run without those volunteers putting the hours in so 
when you see the old boys and girls that have been there for donkey's years and are doing their thing, I'm always quite inspired by that. I don't think that's cheesy at all. Yeah. Rowing is nothing without its volunteers and all the people who create it into what it is, the community and and all those smiley faces that I keep getting up out of bed each morning just to go out on the river and just move some shift the boats. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. I love that answer as well. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Brilliant. I think, well, thank you so much for, for having us. It's been like really interesting to talk to you about your plans for the museum. I'm personally very excited to see like what's going to happen and to, to come, come here and keep visiting, like hopefully with my own family one day. I see. Great. So thanks for having us. Do please come down and see us and we'll, uh, we'll give you the guided tour. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. When, um, as and when new things come up, we'll, we'll be happy to come down and, uh, have a look ourselves just for our own pleasure, but also shout about what's going on. And well, you know, if we can support you in any way, like obviously we're, we're keen to. Great. Thanks very much. And if at some point we can have you on again, I'd obviously love that as well. But as for today, I think that concludes everything for this episode. So on that note, easy there. Cue the music. <laughs>